Sometimes there's a topic that seems to come up over and over again, and it sort of creates a bottleneck in people's understanding of how to get better. And this one is a little bit complicated, a little bit involved, but I'm going to try to tackle it anyway. And it is this huge chasm or divide between two different schools of thought on how to get better. And when I say chasm or divide, I mean polar opposites, like binary, um, you know, as far as, as far as the East is from the West. And when I first tell you this, it might sound familiar, but I, I think I'm going to be able to add some new insights here that haven't been said before. And it's funny, I can't really believe that I've never talked about this before. It's such a huge, huge topic in uh, in mold avoidance. And I, I really can't think of another podcast episode that I've made. For those of you who are experienced mold avoiders, this might be a little bit boring because I you probably already know this, but um, you might get something out of this episode too. And I'm really hoping to reach a lot of the people who haven't heard this before. So without further ado, the topic is whether you should do treatments or eat foods or do anything really, either based on doctors and studies and articles and research, or based on how it makes you feel. Now, at first glance, this might seem like a simple topic, but you're going to see there's a lot of weeds, a lot of spider webs that are that get in the way. First of all, and I'm just going to state what I what I think and what I've learned about this topic without arguing too thoroughly, too extensively for why, um, because I'm going to try to make this 10 minutes instead of 40 minutes. <laughs> I'm sure you guys will appreciate that in the long run. But there are a couple really big things going on here. Number one is that we give too much credit to the establishment in understanding the driving forces behind chronic disease, mold illness, chronic illness. We think there's more authority than there really is. That is evidenced by the fact that so many people still aren't getting better, right? Like if all of these authoritative resources were really working then mold illness, chronic Lyme disease, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, all these conditions would be case closed, right? They would be a thing of the past. And there are many medical conditions that are in fact a thing of the past. So we know this is possible. Um, we know that when medicine advances enough, things can become just a thing of the past. But that's not the case at all. People are struggling greatly and suffering dearly with mold illness and Lyme disease and these things. Now you're going to say, the, the obvious argument against this is going to say, well, Brian, just because we don't have the answers doesn't mean that you're going to find the answers by just doing whatever feels right. And I completely agree with you. We all tried doing just what feels right for many years, right? I mean, that's what we did. We didn't just, I'm not saying anyone just relied on doctors or articles or studies, we all also tried to do what feels good to our body, eat the foods that feel good, do the things that feel good. So I'm not saying that, um, that that's really any big news. The thing that really made this obvious to me that there's a breakthrough here was when I got clear enough of mold. 
clear enough of mold. Now, one of the things that extreme mold avoidance says is kind of the opposite of what we notice in a lot of alternative medicine. In most of alternative medicine, if you take a supplement and it helps, doubling the dose doesn't help you anymore, right? You guys all know exactly what I'm talking about. Your doctor gives you this great supplement. You take it for a couple weeks. It seems to help in the beginning. It sort of stops helping. And the doctor says, oh, try taking a a higher dose. And you take a higher dose and nothing happens, right? I mean, that's why we have the supplement graveyard, right? Right? I mean, don't you, can't you look around your house at all the supplements that you thought were going to be so great and you even doubled the dose and they didn't help you anymore. And in fact, they stopped working completely. That's why what I'm about to tell you is going to turn everything on its head. We assume that if a little bit of mold avoidance is good, then more mold avoidance probably doesn't really matter that much. We already reaped the benefit from mold avoidance just by moving to a new house or, you know, getting a mold test or getting that water leak fixed in our attic. Once we did that, we get a little bit better. We assume it's just like a supplement. Okay, we did that. We checked the mold off the box. Now, I don't want to belabor this because I've made other podcast episodes about how much more benefit you can get from more mold avoidance, right? This is a unique thing in medicine that the more mold avoidance you do, the more benefit you get. And that keeps going until you get to a pretty extreme level of mold avoidance for a while, and then you can start backing off. But if you haven't heard me talk about that before, I want you to pause this or after you're done listening to this, go listen to a free episode. It is free. It's on my podcast. Um, It's from a year or two ago. It's like five or 10 episodes ago. It's called Mold Secrets Your Doctor Won't Tell You or Mold Secrets You Won't Hear From a Doctor. I'm telling you right now, you have to listen to that episode if you haven't already. It went viral. It's my only podcast episode that got like 1,500 downloads, which is a lot for this podcast. If you haven't already, please make the time to go listen to that. Again, it's from about a year or two ago. Uh, It is free. It's not part of my premium podcast episode archive. And it's called Mold Secrets You Won't Hear from a Doctor. That will go into this in detail, but I'm not going to talk about it again because I already did. Okay, so what happens when you do adequate mold avoidance or when you do enough mold avoidance, which, as we said, might be a lot more mold avoidance than you think? If a little bit is good, more is better. When you do adequate mold avoidance, avoiding the outdoor supertoxins, FRAT and MT, really getting clear enough, a couple things are going to happen. Miraculous things that are so miraculous that they keep us interested in mold avoidance. This is the thing that people, you know, get hung up on. Why do you do it? Well, because it works. So a couple things are going to happen. Number one, for the first year or two, your body is going to do something that you've never experienced before. And that is that your body is going to get busy healing and cleaning house without you even needing to do anything, right? That's amazing. We're so used to doing 17 supplements, nine saunas, four IVs, 17 doctor's appointments, and still not even getting better. That to have our body go into healing overdrive just by changing our location, it's mind-boggling. And it's one of the initial things that gets a lot of us to realize how important mold avoidance is. 
That's the first thing that's going to happen. The second thing is that's going to happen is that somewhere down the line, it usually doesn't happen right away. Somewhere down the line, the body is going to regain some strength, some reserves, some health, some fortification, some strength. This is going to happen during mold avoidance. All of a sudden, you're going to wake up one day and your body's like, oh, we're, we're sort of doing okay. And what happens after you reach that milestone is that all of a sudden, your body starts to communicate with you, scream at you for what it needs. And you'll find yourself all of a sudden noticing which bottled water makes you feel good and which bottled water doesn't, which food makes you feel good, which food doesn't, which supplements make you feel good, which supplements don't. It's like a superpower, and you just will start to ignore all of these other quote-unquote theoretical benefits or theoretical things. It's like It really is like a superpower. I don't know if it happens with normal people. It probably doesn't as much, but there's something about mold avoidance and coming out of being mold sick and having chronic illness where when you get far enough along in mold avoidance, like I said, it doesn't always happen right away, you wake up and your body will scream at you and I'm not talking subtle, right? Like, it's not subtle. There will be food, and I've made podcast episodes about this. There will be foods, supplements, activities, environments that just scream at you that they're beneficial. Now, here's where it gets interesting. You will find that biochemically speaking, us as mold avoiders are very different than other people, right? <clears throat> the conventional wisdom for what is quote-unquote healthy, won't work for us. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't avoid carcinogens or avoid a sunburn or that those things are good for you, right? It's I've said this before. It's a hierarchy. There are the emergency biochemical messages that our body screams at us and says, hey, I really need this food or I really need this supplement or whatever that are a thousand times more urgent than avoiding a sunburn or avoiding some random thing that the news channel 10 says, the, oh, you shouldn't do this, right? I'm not talking about if there's nuclear radiation and a nuclear leak in your backyard that you shouldn't leave. Not, so don't be extreme, all right? Let's not be so dogmatic. Let's, that's not what I mean. This will replace every kind of should-be could be theoretical signal that all of the other resources and articles are giving you. You will become your own indicator for what is important. Now, why am I talking about this? Because over the last few days, I have had a number of people argue with me saying that this or that should be true. And I'm not saying they're bad people or that the resources they're reading are wrong or bad. I just don't think it's compatible with healing with mold avoidance. That's all. It's not that it's good or bad. Here's a couple of examples. Um, well, f first I will say that when you are mold sick, some of the things that tend to be very good for you feel really bad because the body's not strong enough to handle them. Um, we've, we can come up with tons of examples of this. Fermented foods... Um, fungi supplements, mushrooms, coffee, 
Um, I made a whole list on, on my Facebook group of like 15 things one of them is dog dander and being around dogs and, you know, the, people have this dog allergy. But later on, you realize, I realize now that dogs have this really healthy, thriving biome that I actually crave being around. And when I get like a mold hit or I get really slammed or something, I actually pick up my dog and hug her. And when my wife is like, let's give the dog a bath, I'm like, no, I don't want to give the dog a bath. She feels so good to me now, her fur, her biome you know, whatever it is in a dog. And a lot of people who are really mold sick can't tolerate dogs. This is just one example. You can use coffee as another example. I remember when I was living in mold, uh, coffee made me jittery and and anxious and couldn't sleep and all this stuff. And it was like horrible. Everybody says don't drink coffee. But now, as you guys all know, if you listen to my podcast, I sing the praises of coffee all the time about how it's essential for me to stay healthy now. I can take caffeine pills too. So everything gets flipped on its head and all of a sudden the theoretical stuff doesn't matter anymore. This is the same reason why one of the goals of mold avoidance is to be able to get the mold avoidance skills necessary to walk into a new house or a new building and sense immediately or pretty quickly if you could live there or not. Um, And that's also something I go into other podcast episodes. But there is a huge difference between this intuition versus operating on theory. It's its a really important thing in mold avoidance. And I, another example is someone recently reached out to me, a friend, someone who's nice. I like them. I've known them a long time. They have good intentions. And they told me about bee venom therapy, bee venom therapy. Now I have a lot of respect for bee venom therapy. I think it's a very legitimate treatment. I personally did 1,500 bee stings early in mold avoidance. And I do think they helped me a lot. And I do think the people that talk about the bee venom protocol are good people. And I do think it's legitimate, very legitimate. I remember when, and so this person said to me, oh, the, one of the leaders of this therapy says that you have to do bee venom therapy for two to three years. Right. And I, again, I'm not here to get in an argument to, you know, to tell anybody what to do. I do think the bee venom, ther- bee venom protocol works really good and it's very legit. Um, oh, by the way, don't go out and do the bee venom protocol without talking to a doctor first because you can have an anaphylactic reaction. It can kill you. There's a whole safety protocol you have to follow uh, with, you know, having an EpiPen and stuff like that. So don't do it just because I am talking about it in this podcast. <laughs> go talk to a doctor first. But I remember very distinctly that when I was doing early mold avoidance, over a period of about three months, my body started telling me not to do any more bee venom therapy. Not that it was bad. I do think it helped me in early mold avoidance. I really do. So it's, it, it's not bad. But my body started to say, mm, we're kind of done. We need to move on. And that was very interesting to me because I deviated away from that two to three year bee venom protocol, right? I deviated from it. And I would come back from time to time and do the stings over again and get and see, oh, maybe I should keep doing it. No, body said, no, we don't really need to do it. So that was one of the first times when I started to really realize that mold avoidance and detox were primary and all these other treatments were secondary. Now, it may be the case that some people 
need to do therapies or something like bee venom therapy at some point, either early, middle, or late in mold avoidance to get the burden of infections low enough that detox can take over? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but it's possible. And I do think the bee venom therapy helped me get to that point. This is why I talk about in my podcast this this feeling that I call that loving feeling, that intensification feeling, that detox feeling. And I've told you guys till you're till I'm blue in the face that when you learn how to sort of chase that and make that your primary um, uh, factor, you you got to learn this. You, you know what it is. You know what this really boils down to. It boils down to the fact that healing and health feels different than what you would expect it to feel like. I will say that again, at least for me in mold avoidance, healing and health and recovery doesn't feel like what I thought it would feel like. It's kind of like a blind person, you know, holding a pine cone or a hairdryer or whatever, and then finally getting their vision back and going, oh, this isn't what I thought it would be. This isn't this. I felt this, but I, I kind of knew what this was, but now I can see it. It's different than what I thought. Mold avoidance skills, a big part of mold avoidance skills is learning that what it feels like to be on the path to recovery isn't really that, I don't want to say intuitive, but it's not what we've been taught by alternative medicine. It's not really what we thought it would feel like. So we have to kind of be like, like, like kindergarten students and learn what this feeling is and then let that feeling guide you in your decisions about what's good for you and what's bad for you. And there's just so many examples of this. You know, there have been gas station protein bars or even candy that has felt really good to me. Candy, you know, sugary candy, garbage, right? Maybe my body needed a shot of glucose for that part of its healing, right? Totally turns everything upside down on its head. You know, lots of examples like this of something that shouldn't be quote unquote healthy, but it actually is. Another example is a musty house that actually smells like mold and is musty, but doesn't give you your core illness symptoms and you can live there. Or a house that has no scent, no odor, no no mold testing problems, but it's still loaded with some kind of little bit of mold somewhere that's keeping you from recovering. And had you never gained these skills, you would have never found that out and you would have bought the house or rented it and stayed sick and tried 50 supplements and wondered what the problem was. So this is why it's frustrating to argue or discuss this with people who haven't experienced it because they are so adamant about the research paper that they're citing or the article or whatever. And you don't want to tell them that they're wrong because they're not wrong. You know, for someone who's still living in too much mold, and remember, that might be a very small amount of mold based on what we've talked about today, then doing these other little supplements or protocols based on the articles or the research might be the best thing for them. I don't know. So do you see what I'm saying here? When you cross over into doing adequate mold avoidance, it's not just a small change in how you approach this stuff. It's a binary switch to, to a whole different world. It's almost like speaking a different language. You know, if you go to a, a African 
uh, village that hasn't had any contact with the outside world and they speak a different language. That's what this becomes like. You cannot have a conversation with somebody who hasn't experienced this. This is, like I said, has come up several times. And the reason that I wanted to address it in a podcast is because it's not immediately obvious how big of a difference this is. To new people, it's not immediately obvious how big of a difference this is. You know, you can't fully comprehend how big the switchover is until you've experienced it yourself. Um, another example is I keep door dashing Subway. Subway, you know, the fast food restaurant Subway. There are some foods at Subway <clears throat> that make me feel really, really good, really clear. They feel really clear to me. Now, that kind of goes against all wisdom, right? They're not organic. They're processed. They're fast food. Every bit of my life now, in terms of health, is based on this switch. And there will be a city that has higher than average smog or particulate in the air, and people will post on groups, oh, it's got this particulate, you shouldn't be there. What if it feels good to you? And it, and it keeps that feeling going, that feeling that I call that detox feeling, that intensification feeling, that healing feeling. You know, I have so many weird names for that feeling because there's no way to describe it. It's, it's like a word in our language as Moldavoiders that doesn't, there is no word for it in any other language, right? Like there are, there are languages like that. I have family members who speak like five languages and there are some languages where there's a word that doesn't translate and you have to like say it over. So you have to give people lots of different examples of it for it to make sense. Like I know that in Hebrew, in the Jewish language, shalom is one of those. Shalom can mean like 10 different things. It can mean like, hello, goodbye. I, I love you. I miss you. It's kind of just like, see, here we go. It's how do you translate it, right? You can't. If you go Google shalom, um, there's like different ways to explain it. And so that's why when I talk about that loving feeling, that intensification feeling, that detox feeling, that recovery feeling, it doesn't translate to people who have not reached the level of adequate mold avoidance. There is no translation. It is a new sensation, like having your blinders taken off or, or you've been blind your whole life and the doctors figure out how to give you vision. There's no frame of reference. When you're seeing for the first time and your eyes are opened and you're looking around your room after the doctor fixed your eyes, there's nothing you can compare that to. You can't tell another blind person the color red really looks like this or the color blue really looks like that. It's different. It's binary. It's either on or off. There's no halfway. That's what I'm trying to explain to people. And that's why when I have a conversation with somebody who's quote unquote citing the research, it's nonsensical. Now, this shouldn't really surprise us because there are so many variables in modern health and illness. Human society has advanced exponentially in the last hundred years, right? If you know what an exponential curve looks like, remember from math class, it starts out really shallow and then it skyrockets and goes straight up, exponential curve. The number of changes in society in the last hundred years has been exponential, right? I mean, humans went from basically living in rock and log cabins and riding horses and hunting animals with a bow and arrow for thousands of years. They did that. 
And then we had the industrial revolution and the agricultural revolution and the internet and electricity and Wi-Fi and cell phones and chemically processed food and pesticides and stuff. This all happened um, within a couple hundred years. So it's not surprising to me that there is so much confusion in both conventional and alternative medicine about what we need to do to get better. Is it plastics? Is it this? Is it that? Is it hormones, right? And what the mold avoidance paradigm has discovered, and this is controversial, but once you've experienced it, you'll know it. And this is solid gold right here. Listen carefully, okay? This is the crux of the message. What the mold avoidance community has discovered empirically through experience is that mold avoidance uncovers a singular biological process or feeling or ability to recover within the body that isn't well described anywhere else. It's not hormones. It's not supplements. It's not, I got my house tested for EMF and covered all the outlets and now there's no EMF in my house or I ground myself or I do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I do a little bit of acupuncture. It's none of that. It's a singular thing. It's learning how to use your own senses to get clear of and then hone your senses towards some very problematic toxins that we don't even know what they are. We don't even know the scientific name for them, but it works. People get better. It's a singular thing. And the research and the articles and the supplements and the doctor's offices don't describe it anywhere. The only resources that have ever described it adequately are uh, Lisa Petrison and Eric Johnson's resources, okay? Um, their books, their articles, their, their information. I didn't discover or invent any of this. And that's the only place it exists in in modern society. And so it's not surprising to me that there's like this missing information that we discovered that boom, solves the problem, fixes those of us who have this illness, right? It's like a breakthrough. There have been lots of breakthroughs throughout history where there's a problem that nobody can solve and all of a sudden, boom, it's solved. And it's not a problem anymore, right? Like inventing the light bulb, electricity in the light bulb, boom. Now we can see at night, it's over. We don't need to worry about candles and, you know, the wind blowing out your candle and hunting at night. Like you can wear a headlamp, you have batteries, it's over, it's done. Um, mold avoidance has been a breakthrough like that. It's been a huge breakthrough and it changes everything. And all of the articles and theories aren't what matters anymore. There's this whole new thing. Now I'm by no means saying that mold avoidance is a perfect solution right? I mean, maybe it'll get improved one day. Maybe maybe we'll find out more about why we have to avoid these toxins and maybe there's some way to fix the body so you don't have to do it anymore. But I haven't seen that yet. And I'll let you know if I do. So this is, this is where I'm going to end the podcast. Um, I'm tempted to go a lot longer and give you 20 more examples. But if you listen to my other podcast episodes and you read my materials and you read um, the, the other resources that I mentioned, you'll find the examples. The, the important thing to take away is that when you reach escape velocity from mold, you know what escape velocity is? It's that, you know, if you 
throw a rock up in the air, it's not going to go into outer space. If you launch some rockets, they're not even going to make it to outer space. In order to reach escape velocity out of the atmosphere, you have to have a certain amount of speed and propulsion and thrust, and then boom, you're in space and you're floating around and everything's totally different, right? That's a good analogy. I've never used that analogy before. If you reach escape velocity and you make it to outer space, everything's different. There's no oxygen. You have to have a, a mask or a breathing tank. You know, it's 700 degrees in the sun and minus 700 degrees in the shade because there's no atmosphere to protect you from the temperature variations. There's no gravity. Everything's different, right? You have to reach escape velocity by doing enough mold avoidance based on what experienced mold avoiders have noticed works, not just your own ho-ho-ho theory of what mold avoidance is. I moved to this beautiful place with a lush green forest and got myself a beautiful brand new house. That might not be right. You might have some of those pesky outdoor mold supertoxins in your new neighborhood that you don't even know about that are keeping you sick. So when I say doing adequate mold avoidance, I mean really doing it based on what experienced mold avoiders teach you or have learned. It's, it's, a, it's a grassroots organic body of knowledge that has been created. But once you reach that escape velocity, which is a lot faster and higher velocity than most people think, it's not just necessarily moving into a different house across the street that doesn't have a bad mold test. Once you reach that escape velocity, everything's different. It's like you're in outer space and all the rules change. All the rules of the game change. And we have found that um, our bodies start to scream at us what they really need. It's something that us chronic illness people have never experienced before. We've never felt what our bodies really need screaming at us. And I know that because I've been a chronic illness person my whole life. Maybe once in a blue moon, you find something that really works and your body's really streaming, but then it stops working after a week or two, right? So this is a whole new world of knowing what works and what doesn't. And, and sometimes it's a big shock. And, and the, the point that I was making about the industrial revolution and the agricultural revolution is that so many changes happened in that 200 years that nobody can unravel it quite yet and say, it's the this, it's the plastics, it's the hormones. We have some pretty good guesses about what it is, but when it comes to mold illness, I don't think anyone has nailed it yet, except for the resources and the people that I already that I already mentioned. So it's kind of a, just a big paradigm change. It's like being in space. You know, what if somebody told you in space, let's play basketball? You'd be like, well, we can't, there's no gravity. If I jump up, I'm going to float away forever. That's the degree of paradigm change that we're talking about here. And I will leave you with this one last thought. If you have not experienced this, there's hope for you. There's good news. Because what that probably means, if you're a mold illness patient, I'm not talking about people with a completely other disease like, you know, um, something else. If, you're, if you happen to be a mold illness patient, which, which may be a lot of other diseases wrapped into mold illness that you don't even know about because it masquerades as many other things, the, and you've never experienced what I'm talking about, then you should be encouraged because you have the choice to attempt extreme mold avoidance and break through that escape velocity from the atmosphere and enter this whole new world. Now, I can tell you that in space, there's a lot of bad things. In extreme mold avoidance, there's a lot of hard things. It's hard. It's really, really, really hard. I'm not going to say it isn't. 
it's there's been some crazy hard things about extreme mold avoidance. But the option is there. You can decide if you want to do that. And, you know, for some of us who were so sick for so long, it's nice to know that there's an emergency escape hatch that we can take to get our health back. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean you might even decide not to do it. You might say, you know what? I'd kind of rather be sick than do extreme mold avoidance. Okay, fine. That's fine. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm just saying that it's a pretty predictable reliable path that if you do this stuff, this weird stuff that the extreme mold avoiders talk about, and if your underlying health problem is this mold stuff, that there's a pretty good chance, like 99% chance that you're going to reach escape velocity, you're going to make it to outer space, and everything about your body is going to be different, black and white, binary, totally, fully opposite of what it used to be. And I hear these stories from people that that are so amazing. I just heard from a friend of mine who I've known for 25 years. We thought we had totally different health problems. We were friends in Tahoe. And my disease presentation was totally different than his. But it ended up that we both had this underlying mold problem. And he tried to do moderate mold avoidance and and he, he did he did a lot of mold avoidance, but his food allergies, his food intolerances were always the main thing that he could never shake. Way worse than mine, right? Like he could only eat like five things. And even when he was doing mold avoidance, he could still only eat like five things. And he, he would tell me like, I don't know what's going on. You know, I've been doing this mold avoidance thing for like a year or two now and I still can't eat any foods. And um, and even I was wondering, I was like, hmm, gosh, is it going to turn out to be something different for him? Well, guess what? It didn't turn out to be different. He reached escape velocity, found out a few places where he was still getting outdoor toxin exposure, um, made some changes. And I heard from him recently that um, his food intolerances were going away and he could tolerate all these foods now. You know, doctor after doctor after doctor, nothing had solved that problem for him ever before. So do you see what I mean? That's an example of reaching escape velocity. For me... Um, there were a lot of changes that happened when I reached escape velocity. I no longer had heat and cold intolerance. You know, I could sleep in 30 degrees and I could, right now, right now, the room that I'm in right now, guys, is 97 degrees. No, my, my family's not in here. This is like my private little office that I, that I, my, my family's in a climate controlled building, which I hate to be in, but, um, I still go in there plenty of times. But the the point is that, um, I never thought, you know, I remember being in, going to visit my wife's family in a hot, really hot state and seeing people working on roofs on buildings, you know, outside and, um, and it was 105 degrees and I couldn't even be outside and, you know, 100 degrees for even 30 seconds without getting demolished and absolutely sick and fatigued and brain fogged and get a migraine, right? Now I can be in 100 degree weather and it's not a big deal. These are all the state changes that happen when you reach that escape velocity and you get to outer space and everything looks totally different. Now, should you go to outer space? Should you do mold avoidance? I don't really know. Maybe you don't want to and that's fine, but it is there there is this binary state change that occurs and you all of a sudden don't listen to what articles and information says about what's healthy. You feel it for yourself. 
And before the haters say, oh, yeah, well, there's still all these bad things out there. I know. I get it. Right. I get it. Yeah. You should still avoid all those bad things out there. Sure. Do it. If it makes you feel better, might might extend your life by by 10 years. You, you, you avoid getting cancer. Great. But, you know, it's funny, like uh, there's people that are literally bed bound with chronic Lyme disease or chronic fatigue syndrome or mold illness. They can't even lift their chin out of their bed. Um, you know, they, they need a caretaker and they're lecturing me about carcinogens. I'm like, bro or sis, um, please let's get you recovered first to where you can like function, take care of yourself, be in the heat, be in the cold, eat normal foods, drink a cup of coffee in the morning. And then let's talk about, you know, the carcinogens in the plastics or whatever. Uh, There's been so many surprises to me. You know, one of my mentors always used to say, and I love this. This is a great way to wrap up the podcast. One of my mentors always used to say, you can't avoid all toxins. This, I'm glad I thought of this because this is really the crux of the issue. You can't avoid all toxins, right? I mean, of course you can't. We know that intuitively, right? That if we go here or there or everywhere, there's this, there's that, there's plastics, there's there's toxins in food, there's mercury in fish, there's pesticides here, you know, there you just can't. You the air you breathe has toxins, right? So it, one of the things that happened to me was I found that this certain brand of bottled water made me feel good, and it's in plastic. Oh my gosh, plastic, right? Yeah, I probably shouldn't be drinking plastic, but it's still the brand of bottled water that makes me feel the best, right? Now, should I eventually find a solution to drink water that isn't coming in plastic? Sure, fine. I don't disagree with you on that. But if the water helps me go from being bedbound to being 90% recovered, don't you think I should do that first and then worry about the theoretical risks in the plastic? I'm not saying plastic is good. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that, that my, there was something in this water that my body really wanted. It was like, okay, this is, what, this is what you need to do. And that is exactly the problem with alternative medicine is that I think the complexity of modern mold illness is so complex that there's no chance you're going to figure out what toxins or what insults are making you sick if you don't reach escape velocity you don't reach escape velocity from mold and do adequate mold avoidance, which is more avoidance than most people realize, there's no chance that you're going to get um, better with just theoretical articles and conferences and online summits and supplements and stuff. Now, I shouldn't say there's no chance. Some people do. Maybe they're not sick enough. They haven't moved far enough along down the the uh, the spectrum of being sick that they can just do bee venom therapy or just do whatever. I'm not saying that doesn't exist out there, right? By definition, mold avoidance is targeted at the people who are the sickest, who nothing else worked for, or, and this is an important or, or the people who are on that path, right? Like before the really sick people got really sick, they used to be the people who weren't that sick. Before the really sick people got that sick, they used to be the people who weren't that sick. So mold avoidance is really for the people who are really, really sick and nothing works or the people who are on that path and either know it or don't know it yet and haven't gotten things under control yet. So for those people, um, you can read all the articles you want, but I hear too many stories 
of people who just read all the fancy articles and try all the theoretical stuff and they don't really get better. You know, and they they're they're lying to themselves. I see this. I see the the disability that people have as they lie to themselves saying, "Oh, I'm really not that sick" or "Oh, this homeopathic remedy" or "Oh, this or that is so great." It's so good. All these doctors love it because they need to put their hope in something. And they're, and, they're, and they're so optimistic. But then meanwhile, someone, a third-party observer, I said this in one of my last podcasts, a third-party observer would look at them and say, they're actually still really sick. You know, they can't leave their house for more than t- 10 minutes. They can't drive their car for more than 10 minutes. They can't tolerate any foods. You know, they can't watch TV or they get a migraine. Like all of these things that they think are so great aren't actually really doing them much good at all. Right. And that's why I think we really have to be honest with ourselves. Like, are we getting better every year or worse every year? And you you can see it after you've reached escape velocity. You can see all those people still suffering and they still have their heat intolerance and their food sensitivities and their chronic Lyme disease and their this or that. And, and they're preaching to you. They're preaching to you the benefits of this hope that they have in this new thing that they found um, you know, that this, that makes so much sense when you read about it on the computer screen and you go to that online seminar and you listen to the info, it just makes so much sense. It's so logical, even though, <laughs> hint, hint, the same doctor that was teaching you about this wonderful thing was talking about a whole different thing last year, right? At the conference last year, they were espousing the virtues of some completely different therapy. And now nobody talks about that anymore. And it's this new thing. It's like a, it's almost like, fashion, you know, fashion trends change every year. And when you get those new sunglasses, you think they're so cool and you love that you spent $200 on them and they make you feel great. But two years later, they're ugly and nobody likes them. And there's a new fashion trend, right? It's the exact same thing with all these alternative medical therapies is that is that which of us can say that it really did the trick for us and got us on the path year after year after year of getting on a higher trajectory of health, right? Okay, I'm going to leave it here, leave it at this. Um, Again, I wanted to make this podcast because I have had a number of interactions with people lately who send me articles or information on something. And I'm like, you guys, it's different when you reach escape philosophy. And I wanted to explain it so that this podcast episode is floating out around out there somewhere in cyberspace so people can understand this concept. Very few people will make it to this episode and even fewer will make it to the end of this episode, but that's okay. If five people listen to this and have their minds blown about how much the body changes when you do extreme mold avoidance, um, that it's not just an incremental thing, that it's actually like a binary switch, like being in space versus being on Earth. It's kind of different, right? It's what, um, 100,000 feet? Is that the elevation that you get to space? Something like that. 80 to 100,000 feet, that's like one of the main layers of the atmosphere. You go above that, it's really different. It's not a little bit different. The birds aren't a different color. The air doesn't smell different. Um, you know, it's really different. That's how big a difference is between being on earth and being in space. It's a really big difference. That's the difference between being adequately clear of mold. When you get adequately clear of mold, which is more clear than most people realize, that's why people don't experience this who just get a mold test in their house, move across the street and call it good. That's why nobody believes this because you have to really go through some hoops to get adequately clear of mold. 
Um, a book I recommend for that is called A Beginner's Guide to Mold Avoidance. You can get it as a free download. Um, you can get it as a, just Google that, A Beginner's Guide to Mold Avoidance ebook. And you can go on a website, sign up for their email list, and get it as a free download. That's what I'm communicating. That's the purpose of this episode is to tell you that doing adequate mold avoidance puts your body in a state that is as different as being on planet Earth versus being in outer space. If if people could just understand that one thing, um, they would know what mold avoidance is all about. They would really know what mold avoidance is all about. They would they would know that that there's some insight, some trick here, some secret that out of all the toxins out there, right? Plastic, um, inorganic food, whatever, that this one skill of learning how to perceive problematic mold and avoid it adequately is like the hub or the linchpin of the problem. And once you've tackled that problem adequately, then sure, be my guest, go read all the studies, avoid your plastic, you know, that's fine. I'm not against all that stuff. They're apples and oranges, right? The final example I'll give is like another way to explain this if you can't understand how these mold supertoxins can be so much different than like plastics or, you know, non-organic food or whatever, is imagine someone who just got in a car accident and their car is on fire and they're stuck in the car, wedged between a piece of metal that broke loose when the car crashed and the firefighters come and the firefighters are trying to break them out of the burning car with the crowbar, with the jaws of life or whatever, and the person says, don't touch me with your firefighting tools because though that jaws of life might have lead or mercury or heavy metals in it. Don't get me out of here because I don't want to touch your, your I, don't give me that IV with those fluids that might save my life because I'm bleeding out literally here on the street because that IV that intravenous glucose or saline or whatever that's you're going to give me isn't organic, right? It's nonsensical. It makes no sense. Everyone would agree that you should first get out of the burning car and then later on maybe be like, eh, yeah, well, that's kind of a bummer that I got that IV at the hospital that I didn't really know what was in it, but it's okay because I'm alive now. That's what mold avoidance is like, guys. It's like getting out of the burning car that you've been stuck in so long you don't even really realize you're in it anymore. You think that having temperature intolerance, anything above 80 degrees or anything below 50 degrees is just the new normal you. And you're not even working on that problem anymore. You're not even hoping that goes away because you've given in, given up and told yourself, believed in the, the, the lie that these supplements you're taking, they make you a little bit better. But all those other problems you have, they're just part of you now, right? Mold avoidance breaks you out of that, gets your body above the threshold of regaining strength and healing. And then after that, you could do whatever you want. You can you can read the articles and avoid the whatever. Okay, I had already finished recording this episode and I'm editing it here to add something that I forgot that I really want to bring up. So if you made it to the end, here's a little tidbit for you that was so important that I'm editing my podcast. Okay, one of the ways that this plays out is that 
the longer you do mold avoidance and the more you get in touch with that strange feeling of recovery, that's a little bit different than what you thought it would feel like. The more you will have access to this incredible intuition that guides you in ways you could have never possibly imagined. And I'll give you an example. This is what I wanted to bring up. When I was living in mold and taking hundreds of supplements, thousands of supplements, you guys know what the, what it looked like to have all those supplements. I didn't really know what supplements were helping me or not. Or, or you know, maybe, you know, I spent this whole podcast bashing supplements, but what I'm really bashing isn't the supplements. It's our inability to tell which ones are, are helping. And of course, being not adequately clear of mold, we're not getting the benefit from the supplements anyway. But I recently discovered that one of the supplements that I had been using in mold is life-changing for me. It took five years of mold avoidance for my body to get strong enough and recovered enough for it to tell me, hey, dude, this one supplement is like the nectar of the gods to you. It's like pure vitality in a bottle. It's the thing that your body needs, right? It's a $20 supplement. You can read about it on my Facebook group. This will be my little motivation to get more people to my Facebook group. I just posted about it. I'm not saying it'll be the right supplement for you. It might not be. That's the thing. That's why this is complicated. Because even amidst the similarity that we all have the same mold illness, it expresses itself differently by how you've been screwed up by mold and infections. So I have this satisfaction now of knowing that I, my body is so strong and communicates with me so well that I can take this one supplement and leave all thousand supplements behind and this one supplement will have a dramatic and lasting and meaningful impact on my health. Miraculous, dare I say. And here's one last thing I will mention. One of the first signs that started happening to me when I started taking the supplement again, right, right recently, not when I was living in mold, but in the last year, was that it didn't affect me how I thought it would. But, 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 it increased that feeling that I call that loving feeling, that detox feeling, that intensification feeling, it actually increased my sensitivity to mold and decreased my reactivity to mold. You can learn about that in my other podcasts. The, the first clue that this stuff was helping me, I wouldn't have even recognized it anyway, <laughs> even, if I, even if it was working when I was living in mold, because I wasn't in tune with this new word this shalom, this other language of mold avoidance, right? And now I can take a single supplement and my body screams at me to take it. And I have evidence that it works and it continues to work day after day. doesn't get old and I'm fine without it. I don't need it, but it get, it's something that my body really, really wants. Okay. There's an example for you, a shiny example of how all of this comes together in a nice little package. Now, just my usual disclaimer here at the end of this podcast episode, nothing I've said should be construed as medical advice. I'm not a doctor. I'm a lay person just sharing my personal experience. Don't start or stop any treatments or do anything without consulting a real doctor. This podcast is just for informational 
purposes only. Thanks for listening.